Hi there, welcome to the Move Me podcast with me, Julie Reynolds. Now, I've been working in the radio biz over the last decade and a bit at the ABC, Triple M, Mix 102.3 and 5AA in Adelaide. And now it's time to do my thing. And as music and talk is my thing, I'm bringing the stories behind the songs that make you move and the stories surrounding the song and the musician that will move you in this brand new podcast. Join me weekly as I breathe a little life into some of my favourite interviews people have asked me about with the artists we know and love. Plus, I'll bring you something new when I check in and see what they're up to now. A happy little mishmash of great stories, good times and groovy music. Today, it's a blast from the past from a couple of years back with the huge talent that is Diesel. We dig a little deep and find out how close Australia was to not have him as one of our legendary music acts over the last 30-odd years. You'll never find Mark Glazot, Diesel, very far away from a gorgeous guitar. So when he came in in 2018 and bought one with him, first thing to do was check out which one it was. It's a Gretsch and... It's actually quite new, five years old now, which, you know, how that's, when my mind, that's quite new. And then he realised, oh man, it's like, yeah, five, six, seven years old. Do you have a guitar Relatively. room or an annex on well, the house? I've got, a, I've got a studio, so that's a guitar room, which is kind of nice because for years I've, I've sort of had, well, when I lived in New York, for instance, I had gear in Australia and I had gear there and I'd sort of lamented over pieces that I left behind and blah, blah, blah. But I've been able to, like, now I've got a recording studio, so it's a, it's a good excuse to put all my gear in one place. Yeah. And that's kind of um, yeah, the ultimate sort of box of crayons. You did that tour, Seven Axes, and mm. you took seven of those beautiful guitars on the road. It must have been really difficult to pick, I don't know, were well, they seven favourites or were they just seven songs that worked for what you were doing? Yeah, that, that was the whole idea of it, was to kind of pin the guitar to the song or to a specific genre that I was farming for that period or whatever. So uh, the guitars kind of brought out the story. But since then, I actually, that kind of set the bar really high. So actually since that tour, I've been travelling like with no less than seven guitars <laughs> all the time now. So it's kind of spoilt myself. Half the reason why I can take seven with me all the time is that I, I do fly, like jump all over the place. So I figured out how I can get seven all in one sort of like it looks like a double sort of golf bag. It's just a really good way of kind of getting everything that I want around without, yeah, compromising because it all has to be under 32 kilograms for any person that takes anything on a plane. It's not about, you know, if you want to take more, you can pay for more. It's that's the law. It's that no one's going to lift anything more than 32. And I totally understand that because having two pieces myself that I kind of have to wrangle around, my chiropractor loves me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a baggage handler dealing with more than 32 It's like kilos. this, it's Monday. Uh, Mark Lazotte should be arriving in about half an hour's yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. It's all wrong. You know, like most of the stuff I do to myself, it's it's kind of a bit like what dancers do, I suppose. You do move around a lot. You do. Uh, yeah, I've been, I jump around like, in, like a madman. You do. I've, I've sat at a table before and, uh, yeah. and the waitresses I've came. I've destroyed a few tables. <laughs> well, the waitresses came <laughs> and they cleared the table off and it was like, what's happening now? Yeah. Suddenly. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was that just kind of uh, fortuitous or was 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 there some kind of no, knowledge? I, I think, well, who knows? Maybe you'd been there a couple of nights in a row right. and they knew, well... It's they, going to be that table. They figured <laughs> that this middle table here is going to be the easiest one. We'll just yeah. get rid of a few my, drinks. My brother was known to, when he had three venues going, the Lazotte's venues, he yes. had one venue, DY I think it was, and he kind of got to know my 
I played it so many times and he kind of got to know my idiosyncrasies and he was like, okay, I'm going to strengthen that table there, you know, like double legs. <laughs> That's you know. the jumpy table. Yeah, <laughs> going to like make that more robust for him. But of course I wouldn't go to that table, I'd go to the other one. If I see something, I want to, you know, it's like, oh, there's a box and there's a gap. I want to jump that gap and get onto that box. It's just the way I am. I think they call it parkour. I've seen videos of that stuff and it, it makes me wince. Ouch, ouch. And then I think, hang on, I do that when I'm with a guitar. Well, I suppose if you've got an audience jumping around, it's hard for you not to. It, I look, I, audiences are a, they're a performance in themselves, I think. And I say that because um, my first kind of, I remember feeling kind of size crowds like that was when I toured with um, Jimmy on the Freight Train Heart Tour in 87 slash 88. And I remember Jimmy coming off stage a few times and saying, and it was kind of strange when I first heard it, I was like, what, is he, what does he mean, you know? But he'd say, like, the audience were, like, better than us tonight. <laughs> and he, he, I guess what he was saying was, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, you were, we were, I don't think we were ever terrible by any means, but sometimes the audience were just on another level. On, you know, there's the one factor that just blows my mind is that it, which other countries went to plastic cups long before that. But <laughs> in Australia, glass. And so at the end of the night, you know, there would just be an, a, a, just an ocean of broken glass over the, all, the whole dance floor and spreading back all the way to the mixing desk. So there would someone would be cleaning that up. But the crew who had to get the gear through all of that cables, you know, big fat multi-core cables that ran through with gaffer tape and you've got to pull it all up. It's, you know, you're basically building a whole building sort of thing and then tearing it all down, you know, and you have to do it all through broken glass. So inevitably there would always be blood. Oh. Was every every night someone's going to get cut. You love a tour, don't you? What's the attraction of maybe a smaller gig? I love all of the aspects of – I'm struggling to say which one I like best because I, I'd probably prefer outdoor to indoor when it's a big kind of concert sort of thing. But uh, I find some of the, yeah, some of the stadiums that I've played, like the, you know, the arenas, I should say, they're the hardest for me to kind of connect. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like this big void, you know. You can see people, but you can't. But outdoors seems to just feel more natural or something. Yeah. And there's also just all that oxygen you can suck and, and it really, you know, feel, I really feel that difference. And you're quite comfortable touring, aren't you? Mm. Do you think that it's because, well, your family came from America to Australia, you're used to packing up and mm. going and doing something, quite used to it from a young age? True. Um, we packed up a lot and moved. Um, by the time I started being, you know, transient myself, I think we'd done it five times. So, you know, four different schools. You know, it has it, it does have its impact. You know, I've spoken to a few few people about that sort of stuff and they're yeah. like, Oh wow, you know, that that's pretty serious on a on a kid. Well Look, it's about making friends and stuff. Yeah. I think ultimately it opened my mind so I, I don't sort of have regrets about it, but I do have some recollection of, you know, always being it just it's just gonna happen. You're gonna you're gonna be the new kid all the time and ostracized and, you know, kind of pointed at and you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, you got to get thick skin, I suppose, and it's better to get thick-skinned early than later, I think. And also it helped you to perhaps to make friends with different kinds of people mm. pretty quickly. I did. I kind of gravitate always towards the ones that were most like myself, I suppose, that had been a little bit transient themselves yeah. generally. But sometimes, yeah, not always that, that case. Sometimes they'd find empathy with people that had been in the same town or, the, you know, all of their... 11 years. <laughs> so you, you came, uh, what, where were you from in America? 
Well, my mum was mom Massachusetts. And dad, yeah, wasn't it? Rhode Island actually, which oh, is the next, next little state, but they're so close to each other. They're like it's kind of like Albury and Wodonga sort of thing. Massachusetts and Rhode Island, they're, they're, yeah, they're right next to each other. And for our, in our case, the biggest hospital where my mum could have all seven kids was in Massachusetts, Fall River. So that's a little town across the border. Have you ever written a song called Fall River? <laughs> no. It just sounds like it's a song yeah, it waiting. It sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fall River was, uh, was a, yeah, it was a big mill town. Um, went really kind of sour in the probably the 70s, became like kind of uh, the headquarters for uh, heroin addiction by the 70s and 80s and probably crack after that. But So mum and dad said, let's get out of here. Well, no, we weren't in that town, but oh, we were okay. like in a, you know, 35 minutes away, but it was the nearest sort of sizable town. But it had like, back in the day, would it was a big industrial kind of, well, it had Oshkosh, Bigosh, and I think Levi's and a lot of the mills were there that made all the garments. Um, this is, you know, the, the golden, kind of the cotton age of America. We lived in this little like potato farm kind of area. Only because I think my mum and dad wanted a bit of space. They were, they were from New Bedford, Massachusetts. And there was which is, that's nine like, of you? Yes, nine people. So <laughs> they got a little cottage in this tiny little town. And it was all people with big families all around us, you know, mostly Portuguese, like nine, 11 kids. That was pretty normal. So seven was actually a small number. And, yeah, that was like a normal Norman Rockwell painting, you know, is how I describe it. If you know Norman Rockwell, yeah. he's an American painter. He made everything just look really nice. <laughs> and to go back there now, it's pretty amazing because there's not many little towns like in anywhere in America where McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and things like that have not moved in. And this is the case. I think the council there must be actually really, really strong because there's plenty of it along the highway as you before you get off. But the actual town has been spared, which is very unusual. Did it feel like you'd gone home? It's like, well, the last time we went was the summertime, so you couldn't have seen it in a better light. Grass everywhere, just beautiful smells. And I thought, why did they leave? <laughs> I, just, I, had, I just had that thing of like, this is a really nice little town. Off the freeway, you know, um, close to, you know, it's only like, I guess, an hour, maybe two hours to Boston at the most. Um, not that far from New York either, you know. Like I've, I've tried to imagine, like if I would have stayed there, what would have what would have been my trajectory, you know, what I would have done. But it's it's silly. It's a silly exercise. But well, there's I, no such thing as no, what if, is there? There's, no, there isn't. There you isn't. did or you didn't. Yeah, that's right. You're very right. But um, it wasn't like they were escaping, like some terrible, like oh, we got to get out of here. If anything, it was probably a little bit sleep sleepy, and my dad had had a bit of excitement put into him when he was in the Navy. He travelled a little bit. And so he kind of, he only had one brother. My mum was an only child. So the two of them are kind of had this fantasy of like, let's have an adventure, you know, let's do something with our lives. Let's go somewhere. When you're an itchy feet kind of person, mm. even though you are in an idyllic setting, it's like, okay, this is perfect. We've got the most perfect kids in the world yeah. being uh, yourself and, <laughs> and the rest of them. We've got perfect family, perfect, you know, living arrangement. Okay, let's move. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much, I think my dad was a little bit restless, you know, a little bit. He kind of, uh, you know, he had to, he grew up sort of being the dad because uh, his dad wasn't around and came from a, I mean, both my, you know, parents had pretty, pretty rough sort of childhoods, alcoholism and whatnot. So, yeah, I think they just kind of, they made this little, they made their own little thing and then they were like very much just like, let's, 
let's do something, you know, out, out of the box. And I think that, that kind of was made it, my mum was a nurse and dad was electronics, so they could go anywhere. With those two kind of job skills, ironically, they could go anywhere, but when we moved back to America after being in Australia for a while, we, they decided they were going to go to the West because they'd lived, I think because they'd lived in Australia and they were like, no way, we're not going back to shoveling snow. Yeah. So they went to Arizona and, you know, hot desert kind of place. We all sort of think it must have been because Dad thought, you know, I'll get a little bit like Australia. And uh, couldn't get a job, you know, the whole time we were there, just unemployed. My mum got a job nursing, but it wasn't her first choice. She worked in the OR, the ER, I should say, which was in a town with like a really high crime rate, the highest in the whole southwest, actually, which we didn't know when we moved there, but we found out <laughs> afterwards. Like, oh, guess what? We're in the area that has the highest crime rate in the whole of the southwest. Yeah, so every night she'd come... Or, Sometimes morning, early morning, she'd do night shifts and, you know, come back and be just dealing with gunshot wounds and stabbings and whatever. And pretty full on. Yeah, uh, don't need to watch the TV. Correct. And hard. Which we didn't have a TV either, which was good. I mean, at first it was horrible. I was like, what are we going to do? They've sold the TV. How am I going to watch Batman? Well, you know what? I really <laughs> was bummed out. I couldn't watch the basketball because at that point I was really into, like, the NBA and, and Phoenix Suns were, you know, the team. But um, got over that, just, you know, go to the neighbor's house. But my dad started selling everything because he just wanted to move back to Australia so bad. He was he was missing Australia, like, terribly. So we sold the car, sold the TV, didn't the sell kids. the house. <laughs> yeah. So my mum and dad had started walking, you know, everywhere. My dad had to walk my mum to work and, you know, with an umbrella and people would, like, heckle them, like, sh- shouting from their cars, you know, like, you expecting rain? <laughs> you know, be like, you've never seen someone walk with an umbrella before in the sun? You know, really? Yeah. That's pretty adorable that your dad walked your mum with yeah. an umbrella. Yeah, I mean, you know. Is that indicative of how you grew he's up? He's a gentleman. Yeah. You know? My dad is a gentleman, was a gentleman, in my mind, always will be. That's a beautiful thing to remember of your dad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, he was he was basically clinically depressed at that point, but he's still trying to do his best. But he was. He was terribly, like, depressed. I mean, we didn't know that. We didn't go around, you know, going, hey, dad's depressed. No. He was. He was like, he, you know, he needed probably some help. I couldn't but, uh, settle down either. Yeah. And, you know, it's just those moves that we, you know, talked about, sometimes they just don't always go so well, you know. But, I mean, I was having a decent time. I started playing cello at, yes. that, at the local school. And it was a very unusual thing that the school had a cello, uh, a string program. So yeah. being a public school. Was that in America or here? That was in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. So... And it was only because the school was funded by a local farmer, you know, mogul who had lots of illegal immigrants working on all these farms. So to get the keep the government off his back, he'd build hospitals and schools and everything and fantastic facilities, like just money up the wazoo. So it wasn't like everybody else's Australian teenage years for you, was it? Um, well, you came back. Yeah. And then, and, and then you, know, you had to fit of, back in again. Yeah, to fit back in again. I started to kind of getting into the landscape as far as like the musical landscape you know bands started seeing bands like midnight oil cold chisel um saw their last the end of the cold chisel thing which was kind of one of the saddest things it was like hang on you guys gotta keep making more records you know <laughs> what are you doing and you know we were speaking of arizona before and that now makes sense that last time you were in america you went back to arizona did you or you went to a desert no i went to well i went it was very similar we went up to santa fe and Albuquerque, which looks <gasps> Who doesn't very love Albuquerque? Much, yeah. The name and everything about it, Albuquerque. No, it's beautiful up there. It's, you know, high desert. And there's lots um, of cactus and all that sort of stuff yeah, on your Instagram. Just incredible. 
the colours. And I'm a big Georgia O'Keeffe fan. She's like one of the most amazing artists ever to walk this planet. And to go to her ranch where she worked and everything, it's just really, really amazing. I think we've got that in spades here, you know, as well. There's uh, so much like up the top of this country that every time I don't get up there a lot, but when I do get up there, it's just blows my mind it's just wow you know i did a, a thing for it was a big telethon for channel seven and charity thing and my payoff was three days at this resort up at um about an hour out of broom and it's just you, you are on the edge of like nothing you know when i say nothing but there is so much at the same time it just looks like nothing but every desert has got so much so many stories to tell and you know the fact that it was an ocean one at one point is amazing it's humbling because you realise, as a as a country, we live in these little pockets along the coast, you know, and we stay very close and safe and everything. And now beyond, you know, even just a couple of hours out of Adelaide, you are in the middle of like, you just got like, you know, things that'll kill you, well, mountains, yeah, all of that. And holes. You were and- totally out of our comfort zone, and it's vast. It's it's like you know, out of space or something. I, I love flying over it because about two hours into the flight from say Sydney to. Maybe about two and a half, yeah. When you stop seeing the little patterns of humans, roads and lines and things, and the patterns become natural, and they just look like beautiful indigenous paintings, and you fly over and you just go, wow. And they really do look like um, Aboriginal art, and you think, how do they get that perspective? And, you know, it's pretty mind-blowing. It really kind of sends chills up my spine because you see it from that 30,000 feet, and it just looks like everything they're painting on a myopic sort of level down on the ground. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Mark Lazat Diesel. Make sure that you go and see any show that you can. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Cheers.